Do you want to have conversations with the Adventures in Angular crew and their guests? Do you want to support the show? Now you can. Go to adventuresinangular.com slash forum and sign up today. Hey everybody and welcome to episode 13 of the Adventures in Angular podcast. This week on our panel we have John Papa. Hey everybody from sunny Florida. Lucas Rubelke. Hello from Phoenix. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv and this week we have a special guest, Scott Hanselman. Hello. From Portland. Portland, awesome. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Like you just did. I'm still Scott Hanselman from Portland. <laughs> wait, wait. Who are you now? Who are you now? <laughs> Antonio Banderas. Wow. No, yep, I'm, I'm Scott uh, Hanselman. Google me. There you go. Um, I do want to point out Scott has a pretty awesome podcast. Do you want to give us kind of the, the three-minute pitch on that? Oh, three minutes? That's a lot. That's a like, huge amount of time. That's fantastic. Well, I was born a poor child in Portland, Oregon. I've got a couple of podcasts. If you go to Hanselman, uh, like Hansel and Gretel, Hanselman.com slash podcasts. Uh, the main one is called Hansel Minutes. Uh, it's a 30-minute show. Um, it's kind of like Fresh Air, if you guys ever listen to NPR. It's like, uh, you know, Science Friday, Fresh Air kind of a thing. And uh, it's it's really, really, I think, gotten its voice in the last couple of years. We've got all sorts of different people. Talk to the CTO of NASA. Talk to the organizer of SASConf. Talk to the guy, the Michio Kaku, who had discovered string theory. It's really, really diverse. You can see it at HanselMinutes.com. Uh, also, This Developer's Life uh, is a ripoff of This American Life that I do with Rob Connery. And it's a little bit uh, less regular. Hansel Minutes is every single week. But uh, we still are doing this developers' lives. It's totally non-denominational. Uh, it's really about uh, developers and their lives. Like getting uh, fired was a show. We did a show with DHH about um, what happens when you hit a home run. Like you're 24, you mm-hmm. invent something. What are you ever going to do that's awesome after that? We oh, talked that'd to, be interesting. It's a great show. We actually talked to DHH about Rails, and we talked to um, Dan Bricklin, who invented the spreadsheet. Like what do you do when you invent the spreadsheet? <laughs> <laughs> he wrote VisiCalc. Like, you're 26, you've invented the spreadsheet, now what? How do you one-up that? What are you ever going to do? You just leave. Just buy an island and then go. I'm done here. I'm out. <laughs> good night, everybody. It's just like Costanza. You just got to be like, good night, everybody. So, yeah. yeah, if you do something amazing, you should just quit. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Anyway, two great shows. Check them all out. Hanselman.com slash podcasts. Yeah, definitely ought to subscribe to those. Please. Lots of fun. So we brought you on today. I don't know if we have a particular topic, but uh, we know Angular? that you... What was that? Just teasing. I said Angular, maybe? Yeah, just Angular. Get, just judging from the title of the you know, Adventures, maybe in Angular or something. Yeah, there we go. Well, we're uh, actually thinking of renaming the show to Avengers in Angular, I, I heard in the last one. So. Or, or Iron or, Man. What, what happens if it's like Adventures in Ember or Adventures in Backbone or Adventures in jQuery? Like, is that... You could change it each, each week. Or no, Chuck <laughs> Smash! <laughs> so is this is like is this like evangelical is this a thing where you guys walk around and be like have you heard the news about angular <laughs> i did that for like two years of my tag? life you have, i was just wondering see i knew that do you have like a little name tag <laughs> angular charles wood that's right oh, i oh gotta my. get one of those made you should totally do that there's oh a man. steak center that's a hundred feet from my house <laughs> so one of the things that we were trying to get Scott on for we thought was interesting is, I, you know, I have a background in Microsoft world, and there's a lot of really cool stuff coming out of Microsoft these days that deals with not just Angular, but with kind of just the web and the revolution that the web is going through. And I thought it'd be neat to have Scott share some of what he's been seeing, not only inside of Microsoft, but outside of Microsoft, because he's a very uh, public person. 
Can I clarify two things before we do that? First off, Scott isn't the PR or whatever person for Microsoft. So Scott sees interesting things because he's in Microsoft, but doesn't necessarily spread the message according to Microsoft, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, the goal will be that the goal is I came to work at Microsoft like five, six years ago to change stuff, to open source things. But I've been in the industry 22 plus years. Uh, it's a great job. I like working for Microsoft. I work remotely, but I don't need the job. So I'm, you know, people are always like, well, you're a mouthpiece for your employer. No, you know, I mean, I like my Surface, but I also, uh, I'm upset that my iPhone 6 Plus hasn't been shipped yet. So, you know, it's, it's all about balance. So yeah, my opinions are my own. I really don't care. And actually, did you hear about all the YouTube videos that got taken down last week? You heard about this? Nope. I did not. (laughs) So this will give you an idea of like how connected my employer and I are. Microsoft, a couple, three days ago, accidentally sent out takedown notices because they found product keys in the comments of YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. People were basically stealing windows. So instead of deleting the comments, the videos got taken down. And this has caused a big scandal because a Mm -hmm. bunch of like basic how-to videos have been taken down. (laughs) I'm like, I work for Microsoft. And I'm like, gosh, I kind of thought that YouTube was my backup. I'm like, I I look around for the file. I can't find this file. I have no way to upload it to Vimeo or whatever. Anyway, the Microsoft account, like immediately, Chris Perillo was taken down. Mm -hmm. A bunch of people were like, oh my goodness, we apologize. They undid it. My video's back up. But yeah, when Microsoft sends its own employee a takedown video. It lets you know that, like, we have lives on the side, and they didn't even know, and anyway. You're I've not got a- this image in my head of Satya standing on your back with your arms behind you, twisted up in the air, going, stop doing it, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Just like, here, you know, stop making how-to videos that are helpful, or I will take away your 401k. <laughs> I- I'm just waiting for the, the day that you get a cease and desist and a paycheck from Microsoft in the same day. I would, if that happened, I would take a picture of that and I would would be like, yes. But But anyway, there's lots of cool people at Microsoft that talk that, you know, talk the straight poop, just like there's people at Google that do the same thing. Although no one at Apple is ever allowed to speak publicly about anything. I think they actually cut their tongues out of their mouths when they go there. (laughs) You know, where are the Apple bloggers? Like, apparently the only one allowed to talk is Gruber, right? He's the only one that's kind of like, allowed to speak everyone else just <laughs> it's he who must not be named <laughs> yeah apparently you know, but, but I'm just the, surprised. the other thing i want to point out as as we get going is that uh, microsoft really has embraced open source especially over the last few years that, that i've noticed anyway and so if if you're behind that effort then you know thumbs up well i mean <clears> i'm <throat> I, I am behind that effort only because i'm the only one on the podcast who can take credit for it because there's no one else here but in fact it's a huge <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm sure well, I mean, it all, it all kind of started about maybe six years ago. But I mean, you've got people, and these are names that maybe people may or may not know, like Damien Edwards, Phil Hack now with GitHub, Glenn Block, Mads Christensen, and there's like a cast of thousands. And since then, they've actually made their own organization, like Microsoft Open Technologies, and they're they're putting code in Jeep, or even doing GPL code. Uh, all of Azure SDK is open source. Um, ASP.NET is running on a Mac, and we've got IntelliSense working in Sublime. 20% of Azure runs Linux. Lots and lots, thousands and thousands of node sites running in, um, in mm-hmm. Azure on Linux. So, you know, it's not your grandpappy's uh, Microsoft anymore. Yep. So anyway, back to John's question. What are you seeing with Microsoft and AngularJS? Well, so... There was a time when it wasn't clear, like, if jQuery was going to win. 
And then Microsoft made the move to ship jQuery with Visual Studio, right? So that's a, it's a supported version of jQuery. And that was good and bad in that we kind of picked a winner, right? And there was, it was, it was cool. But then the question is like, well, with Angular and all the different other related libraries, should Microsoft throw their weight behind one? A bunch of people surprisingly were like, hey, maybe you guys should write your own. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously though, right? Yeah. Like, Dude, that, that's like that's not just you. a, that yeah, is so not, baiting you. <laughs> but it's not just a Microsoft thing. I mean, that's an IBM thing. It's mm-hmm. a big company thing. It's like, well, popular open source thing made by the people, not really made by the people, you know, becomes popular. You should make the Microsoft version of that. But then it's like, how could X number of smart people at Microsoft compete with X to the 10th number of smart people in the world, right? If Angular and libraries like it came from the people in the sense of the greater, smarter people of the internet, who are we to think that the 15 people on this team could do it better? You know what I mean? So we've completely changed our perspective on on stuff like that. So if awesomer stuff, I don't know if awesomer is a word, exists, then we should just support that. So like our JSON serializer sucked, so we used a thing called JSON.net. And Angular is great, so we think Angular is great. So you know, bring it in, modernizer, jQuery, Knockout, you know, just any library that's good. Rather than us trying to make our own, we'll make the tooling that people who use Visual Studio expect awesome on it. So we're adding all sorts of great tooling for Angular on Visual Studio. In the new world of Microsoft, I mean, that's that seems to be a lot easier to actually go out and do. Uh, you know, under Guthrie and Sacha and all them. I mean, it seems to me like that's happening more now than ever. Would you say that's true? Well, yeah, we call that. So internally, we have a word for this. It's called executive air cover. So when someone says, hey, I want to do this, some manager will say, well, do you, do you have air cover? Meaning if you do this, is are you going to get you know nailed from on high? Now that Guthrie and Satya, Satya actually used to be Guthrie's boss. Satya used to be the boss of Azure. So I've hung out with Satya before he was the king. Super cool guy, totally gets it. Their attitude is like, hey, listen, what are we selling here, right? We sell Windows, we sell Office, we sell Azure. So anything that makes those things better, makes those things better. And, uh, you know, we should support them then. That's pretty much how it should work. The other thing that's interesting is also that Angular is more than just the web. It's JavaScript in general. And since the Windows 8 and the Windows 8 application store, people are really into JavaScript. And you can, like most of the, the first party native apps that we write, like the mail app and things like that on Windows 8 are written in JavaScript. Lots of people are writing, you know, Angular native applications, kind of like, you know, Cordova type stuff, except for, for WinJS. So Angular means more to Microsoft than just the web. I mean, it's just, it's a useful pattern and it's a useful framework. Mm-hmm. So did they officially bless it in some way or is it just, but see, hey, it's not we about, support no. it? No, it's not about blessing anymore. I mean, what does it even mean for us to bless it? Like, you know, you can use it and we won't be mad. We're thinking about more as the, the editors. Mm-hmm. Um, Visual Studio, I mean, frankly, the only thing that's really holding Visual Studio back right now is just that it runs only on Windows. But if you l- sit down and like look at like the CSS editor in Visual Studio, and John can attest to this, you know, short of like WebStorm, it's pretty much unparalleled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. freaking epic. I actually showed it to, uh, uh, Leah Varu once at a conference, and she said, I would almost spin up a virtual machine to get that editor. And I thought that was really high praise. Yeah. Uh, she's not quite ready to put VirtualBox on my Mac, but I'm almost there. On the JavaScript side, though, we're building in support for Angular and IntelliSense. So the native editor in Visual Studio knows that Angular exists. 
more than other frameworks and helps you along with all sorts of things. And IntelliSense is more than autocomplete, as mm -hmm. as Sean will tell you. I, I think that's the real key for me is like I run a Mac now for most of what I do and really the only thing I do Windows for is for Visual Studio. And mm -hmm. the biggest reason I go there is, man, I dabble in about 12 different editors in what mm -hmm. I do every day. You know, Vim, TextMate, Sublime, WebStorm, just list has gone on, Atom Brackets. And sometimes just, you know, opening up inside a terminal, but it seems like there's just, I'm using four or five a day just to get mm -hmm. my job done. Whereas when I was doing purely.net, I felt like I could live in Visual Studio and I was happy as could be. Mm -hmm. And I just, I find myself craving that awesome IDE on the Mac. Well, I think that's the Windows versus the Unix mindset. And I don't say that, there's no judgment in this. I, I mean, I worked at Nike for years doing exclusively, you know, Unix talking to backend DB2 mainframes and stuff. So like, I am non-denominational in my religion. Use what feeds your spirit. But on the Unix world, it's about small, uh, and by Unix, I'm also talking about, you know, a Mac. Uh, you know, it's small, composable units of work, things. You know, it's said and awk and, you know, pipe it all together type stuff. And with Windows and IBM before it, it's, you know, pay us one fee and we will give you this giant, complete, integrated development environment. And that's just against, that philosophy is against kind of like the Emacs, you know, or the Vim kind of, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to totally have my own custom VimRC file. It's in a GitHub and I'm going to carry it with me everywhere I go. And it's my finally crafted, like real Jedis build their own lightsaber kind of way of doing things. <laughs> and it's neither good nor bad. I mean, some people watch the Yankee workshop and they do all, they make their own tools before they actually make their furniture. And other people just go to Home Depot and they buy stuff. And there shouldn't be judgment either way. But I, I would agree that the right thing is somewhere in the middle. And I think Sublime yeah. is finding its way there with package control. You know, you're finding that uh, you know, an integrated IDE that does 80% of what I need, something halfway between IntelliSense and Autocomplete, and then the rest of it is my toolkit that is totally custom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that I struggle with is I when I say I'd like Visual Studio on a Mac, what I really want is not full Visual Studio, but probably 30% of what Visual Studio does. Exactly. You know? Exactly. So one of the things that we're working on, and we'll hear more about it in the coming months, is uh, combining some interesting pieces of, like there's a thing called OmniSharp, that is basically a wrapper around C-sharp and then putting a wrapper around that so that you could get IntelliSense on Sublime, Emacs, Vim, whatever. So the difference between IntelliSense and Autocomplete is Autocomplete, and I'm using Sublime as an example, is the I've typed this before. That's all Autocomplete is. And if you type la 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 super poopy and then later on you start going la oh you want to type la 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 super poopy again right there's no intelligence there it's just autocomplete but with visual studio like the value that it adds is an, an intense introspection where it is actually running the javascript in the editor all the time constantly and giving you typed information about what is going on there and we're adding more introspection into angular so we'll know about what you're doing in angular and offer you drop down IntelliSense, externalizing that and making it available to non-Visual Studio editors would give you, John, what you want. The other thing that we're doing, of course, is putting uh, you know support for Grunt and Bower and NPM and all that stuff in VS. That's exactly what we were about to talk about here. And I see Lucas hmm. jumping up and down. And he likes that. <laughs> he does. Me, me, well, Lucas likes him some Grunt. I like me some Gulp. So I think between the two of us, we're going to be happy here. Well, the thing that's funny about all this stuff, well, there's the grunt and gulp side of thing, but also I want to talk about the package manager side of things. Like, Bauer 
this it's just like everything's the new hotness until it's totally not right you know? <laughs> that is and, so true well it's hot because i like it but once you like it too i don't want to like it anymore well you know i finally get around to i finally get around to using grunt and i go and i you know, john and i maintain the uh, nuget nuget is a package management system for .net it's our gems okay so nuget mm-hmm. is .net gems nuget is .net's npm so we maintain the NuGet packages for Angular, right? So John was emailed me a couple of months ago, and he's like, I'm doing this manually. It sucks. So I'm like, hey, cool. I'll, I'll go and I'll do a, a grunt to automate this process. So when a new Angular package comes out, I will make these NuGet packages. And then that'll be great, and John and I will be even closer. So I send it to We've never him. been closer, Scott. We've never been closer. Mm-hmm, the romance right. continues. So I send this to John, and I'm all happy. And I go, look at me, how fancy I am with grunt. First thing he does is he rewrites it in Gulp. I'm like, dude, I was like, and he's like, well, Grunt is this really last week. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like, well, we're putting it in NuGet. Why don't we just put it in Bower? And he's like, oh, no, Bower is last Wednesday. We need to put it in NPM now. I mean, like, well, for crying out loud, where do I put this freaking thing that's going to make everyone happy? And ultimately, it's like beta and VHS, Betamax and VHS, right? I just don't know who's Betamax and who's VHS because inevitably the thing that wins isn't the most awesome thing. No, it's not. It's the VHS thing, right? Betamax remains still, apparently, according to some people, the greatest video format industry, right? Well, that's the key is even thinking about like enterprise level trying to deploy these types of packages. Do you use NPM? Do you use Bower? And people say, well, NPM, of course, is Node, but you can also use that for a client. And then what about these other things like NuGet and Duo and other stuff that's out there? And Maven. And had, yeah, and Maven. And then there's Nexus, which you can use. And then you can get yeah. like a private NPM and a private Bower. And the list goes on and on. It just makes my head spin. Everyone's making everyone else feel bad because they're not using the thing, right? Like I, I was at a conference, uh, a, a, not a conference, but a meetup yesterday, and I was talking to someone about how I was, I was enjoying using SAS, and they were like, "No, I don't use SAS, use Stylus." I'm like, "Oh, for crying out loud!" <laughs> like they're like, "Well, Stylus is, is, you know, is done in Node, and that's much better if you're doing Node, and SAS is done in Ruby." I'm like, well, "I don't really care if it's done in Lua; it's CSS. Who cares what the underlying?" Here, here. Thing is well, exactly. And I think I think what it really boils down to is what empowers you. I mean, what removes friction? What removes the obstacles out of your way for getting stuff done? Mm-hmm. And, and the thing that's really funny is that uh, I talk to a lot of people about, you know, different things. You know, I, I do a lot of my work in Ruby and they're like, well, you know, isn't Ruby slow or, you know, it has this issue or that issue that they have with it. And what it really boils down to for me is if I'm looking at what I'm spending, mm-hmm. If I go get another VPS for $20, yeah. you know, as opposed to an extra hour or two that I would spend trying to figure out how to solve the problem in whatever other technology you want me to mm-hmm. be using. Yeah, yeah. I mean, w- what it really comes down to is it gets enough out of my way to where I'm happy. And then, you know, I do go explore these other things because I'm always looking for a better way to do things. But at the same time, it's, you know, it works and, and it simplifies my life and makes things easier for me to go find success with. Yeah. And I think that the argument of like, isn't X slow? You know, maybe it is, but it was easier to write. I've got cloud scale now. I can scale up. I can scale out. I mean, if it, like you said, if that language is the language you want to do, if, it, if, if it's Erlang or if it's Scala mm-hmm. or whatever, if it, if it makes you happy and you're like, man, I'm having such a blast writing this application right now, write on, knock yourself out. 
But yeah, I mean, the, the religious arguments are a huge problem on the internet. Like that's the, the internet was almost formed around ways to argue about stuff. It was all about arguing about physics and science, and now it's about you know what's the best build system for your application. Well, that's the big thing I, I struggle with a lot. Is it's not always just if you're building your own thing, you can build whatever the heck you want. If you're building on a large team, you don't want a twenty-person team working with you know SAS stylists, CSS less, you know in my own custom homebrew. You want to have some kind of consistency. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the best one or not is not important. Sometimes mm -hmm. consistency is more important than having just the best of breed. Right, right. So what we're doing is we're trying to build in the next version of Visual Studio, and we've actually got, you can look at my blog and go search for Gulp and Grunt and things like that. We've got NPM, Bower, we've got Grunt, we've got Gulp. We're basically making it what we're calling the Task Runner Explorer. So there's the, you know, there's our build system, which is our compiler. And then there's also a basically a formal recognition of a client-side build provider. You know, right now, .NET is very, and ASP.NET is very much like there's a compilation step on the server, and that's it. And there's no formal recognition that the client needs its minification and its build step. So we are, uh, we, we have and we are building that in now. So you can download it if you have uh, 2013, and you can, uh, will it be built into 2014 or whatever we call that next version. Yeah, and I've actually run several of my gulp and grunt processes through it, and it's uh, it's pretty darn cool, actually. It works very, very well. And what's neat is, um, so in the web Storm side of things, I know they have a very similar thing for grunt, and they just introduced in their EAP for WebStorm 9 something for gulp as well. Mm -hmm. But as so I say, when you mentioned WebStorm before, it really is, in my mind, the only one that's even anywhere near what Visual Studio has for some of the tools. Yep, pretty much. Although I must say, I do use Sublime a lot because it's so damn fast. But I do have like 20 or 30 or 40 packages that I plugged into it. Yeah, I think though that uh, you'll be surprised on, at least on Windows, 2013, they're putting so much work into making the memory less. Actually, I should probably bring, I'm going to bring up Sublime and Visual Studio at the same time and just see how much memory that they use. Visual Studio 20, 2005 had a really, really bad rap for being fat. Uh, and from 2013 on, it's actually not uh, that bad from a memory pressure perspective. It's using a, I just loaded Visual Studio and a web project. It's using 120 megs of RAM. Well, it's, it's actually been it's been my biggest knock against WebStorm. Actually, is so when I develop on a Mac, I use Web Sublime most of the time. When I really need to debug Node really hard and heavy, and Node Inspector isn't cutting it, I go over to WebStorm. But I cringe sometimes because it just ends up being slow, and it feels to me like Visual Studio felt a couple of years ago where it was slow to kind of crank things up. And to me, slow is anything that makes me wait more than a second. You yeah, know, yeah. I, we've we've got that time frame these days, and, and that's that's what I'm looking for is that super fast. I know what I got to do. Let me get in. Let me debug it and move along. Yep, totally. So I'm kind of curious. We've talked about Microsoft using their powers for good and for awesome uh, with Angular. Do people come to you and say, "Hey, I'm working on this cool thing," and giving you examples of how they work in Angular or some cool thing that they can do with Angular? I mean, everyone has their little side project that they're doing. Um, unfortunately, the cool stuff that people are doing, I think, this is my opinion, is internal. So I hear a lot of like, we're doing this amazing internal app for da-da-da-da-da. Oh, I can't show you, though. But we're doing some really innovative stuff. And then I'll say, like, well, you should open source, you know, the, the, the innovative part of it, you know, the part that's not your specific intellectual property. And like, oh, well, no, can't really do that. So I think for every cool thing that's happening out in the open, there's probably five or ten other projects that are equally as cool that the company is just hamstringing the their people from being able to do. I know John does amazing stuff where he works, and uh, we're not allowed to talk about it. 
See how he doesn't talk? See, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, I'm just saying, it's like I'm sure he's got some amazing libraries and some great utilities, and the amount of work required to get big enterprise to release those things is just not even worth asking the boss to do it. Right? And that's not specific to John's company. It's specific to anyone, anyone who's not a consultant. Like, all, if you think about that, right, other than, like, Netflix, you know, Google, Microsoft, you know, what – but big companies are putting out a whole pile of open source unless it's a unless it's a self-identified open source company. Yeah. You know, if they don't have a policy at the highest level that that's you know code from a certain amount or less is allowed to be released, then people just go, ah, "It's too much of work. I'm not going to." I think that's that's a huge important point because what I hear a lot, at, you know, I've been a consultant for years before I went to Microsoft and so on, but mm. the big thing they always always fight is, "Hey, they find something cool in open source." Let's say it's uh, I don't know. Let's say it's Angular, but just mm-hmm. for uh, grins here. And somebody says, yeah, let's use that. We need to make these changes to it, either bug fixes or enhancements to make it work for our company. Mm-hmm. So then you fork it, and then you do that. Now what happens in Angular 1.3, 1.4, 1.5 mm-hmm. comes out? You, Since you can't at your company, I'm just saying not you specifically, but let's say your company yeah, yeah. says you can't contribute back. Well, I used to work at now. I used to work at a bank, and I fixed bugs in Log4Net, you know, and it took like three months to get permission to put those back. This is before pull requests, but you know, to send them the patch file was, was ridiculous. Yeah, like sometimes I just you know accidentally go on my own personal profile and make Oops. you know pull requests <laughs> because I'm like, hey, I need this fix. And like ng annotate was one I needed a couple of weeks ago, and I found three bugs, and I just said, you know what, I'm going offline and making these fixes. You know, it's, you know, what brings it, me up to an interesting thing. Uh, what's it called? What are C? What's the acronym? CLAs. Contributor uh, licensing agreements. Yeah. So yeah. this is kind of cool. I mean, not specifically to Angular, but but if you've you know contributed to Angular, you know how you have to fill out the Google CLA and do that whole thing. You know, and there's still some faxing involved at some point, depending on the amount of code that you want to contribute. Contributor licensing agreements are one of those things where as soon as open source projects get sponsorship, they become legit, and now there's legal forms and stuff. We, the Azure team, just came out with this really cool thing that's our CLA bot. So if you, for example, like all the Azure documentation is on GitHub as Markdown. People don't realize that. We actually run a build process on that Markdown, and those articles then show up on the Azure website. So if you, Charles, want to, you know, find a mistake in the Azure documentation, you go, oh, there's it on GitHub, fork these docs. Then you hit commit, and if it's more than like 10 or 15 lines, then it's really cool. A bot will come and say, hey, I'm the Azure CLA bot. You know, I can tell that you don't have a CLA with us. Click here. We link into your GitHub, like using OAuth, and then hook up DocuSign, email you a form, you fill it out, send it back. It's entirely automated. And the bot is actually labeling the GitHub pull request as CLA required, CLA received, and then pull request received. And we're looking to rolling that out to all of our stuff. So it's a completely automated, totally official way to do licensing. Really, really cool. And not the kind of thing you'd expect to see from us. Yeah, I found uh, when I went, I made a pull request to Angular probably six, seven months ago on a, just like three lines of code changed on a bug fix mm. in uh, Angular mocks. And I found, I figured it was going to be like any other open source. Yeah, I just make a pull request, they review it, they merge it. Yeah. This was, you know, there was a CLA I had to sign and a process I had to go through. And they actually had an automated bot that went through that to like verify that everything worked cool. beyond just Travis CI. Yeah, yeah. We're working on that too, testing, making sure that cool. like, we won't even look at your pull request and bother with the CLA if it's going to break the build. Right. Now, do you guys use Travis, or what do you use? 
Um, a number, every team uses different stuff. Some teams use AppVayer. Uh, a lot of teams use uh, the Visual Studio Online build system, uh, Visual Studio Online, VSO. It all depends. I've got AppVayer yeah. for a bunch of my stuff. I actually have a, a repo set up recently for some Angular apps I wrote where I'm running three or four of them at the same time just to see which ones break and fail and how mm-hmm. which ones are faster. So I got CodeShip as another one that I'm actually using on there. Hmm. They're pretty neat. They all offer the same basic core services, but what I like is some of these guys integrate with things like HipChat or Slack or Skype to tell your team, you know, this thing broke. Yeah, absolutely. I think the idea of like these bots like QBot from GitHub, Slack, Jabber, any bots being able to ask bots about the build and you know do deployments from a bot are, are definitely uh, something we're going to see more of in the, in the I think that's going to hit like an inflection point. Cool. So as far as the uh, the Angular stuff goes, I know Angular 1.3 was just released a couple of Minutes ago? No. <laughs> it was a couple uh, days ago two, by two now. Two days ago, you, you texted me and you're like, get, <laughs> I think get the new gets out. Yeah, and the, re- the reason I mentioned that is it was like the day that happened, I was in an all-day meeting, and all of a sudden I got like all these Twitter tweets and emails and hate mail, and I got a bomb alert to my front door. You know, if you don't get Angular out there, oh, you're in trouble. Oh, don't joke about that. Uh, so luckily Scott took over, and uh, I was like, yeah. Well, he can- <laughs> using grunt and gulp, right? <laughs> using your gulped, your gulp stuff. But yeah, getting that build process. We should actually... You know what we should probably do is we should probably just write a bot. Because right now I had to go and like type something. That should just be automated. Yeah, it's such a hassle. No. That was, you know, actually having to type grunt build and then publish, that's really hard. It's really, really <laughs> more time than I was willing to put into it. <laughs> no. But it's funny because, you know, people are always like, you know, Angular just recently announced that they're actually doing the Angular libraries on NPM. So they used to just do Bower. Now they do npm, and we're doing the uh, the NuGet side of it. So you can actually get Angular any way you want, which is kind of cool. Are they going to stop supporting? Like, is Bower losing? It seems like I'm hearing from the people that Bower is kind of on the way out, and it's going to be npm all the way. So when Brian Ford posted that on Twitter the other day, I think he, I was watching the feed, and before I could even ask the question, like 20 other people tweeted him, "Hey, what what about Bower? Are you going to stop doing that?" And, of course, their answer was, no, we're not going to do that. But the reason we did NPM is because we just had an overwhelming desire for people to want this to be delivered through NPM. So it mm. sounds like they're going to support both of these. Until one loses. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, anything you guys would do as well, I imagine. You know, if everybody wants both of these things, then why not offer both? Well, you know, but like I say, at some point, VHS has to win. And it's just unclear who VHS is. I mean, I'm sure there's still people out there that use, like, Moo tools that are totally yep. sour about the great, you know, jQuery fights of the aughts. Of They're the still in denial too. <laughs> you know, Moo tools will rise again. You tweet that. But the same thing is happening around uh, package management, I think. We just need to yeah. pick mm-hmm. and be done and move on with our lives. I think we do and people need to get over the fact that NPM seems like Node and Bower seems like client and there's good sides to both of those. What yeah. I really look forward to is I heard on your JavaScript Jabber, Charles, you guys are talking with the NPM folks about a private NPM that they're going to be offering in the near mm-hmm. future. That sounds pretty darn cool. What I want to see from a Windows perspective, because we're not going to be able to fix MaxPath anytime soon, is a flatter uh, NPM. The N- Node Modules folder just is stupid, and it's a totally ridiculous, repetitive way. It's like I think they mentioned know, express, that on the podcast, actually. Express foo, NPM install. Okay, 80 megabytes of crap later. Like, come on, seriously? In 1,000-path-long, mm-hmm. deep Node Modules folders? I get it. Flatten that, please. Is there any yeah, word when they're going to flatten out? They mentioned that on your podcast, didn't they, Charles, that they were looking at doing that? I don't remember specifics. 
Yeah, that, that caught my ear because nobody's <laughs> caught my ears because I deal in the Mac and Windows where I work, and the Windows Huge folks are always getting a bad rap of, hey, you know, Node doesn't work on here. Why? Well, it's not Node doesn't work. It's that the Node modules folder is 1,800 characters long, Yeah, and therefore we have an issue. And they were mentioning they're going to do that. I think that has to do with the uh, the triple or quadruple nesting of the same library yeah. that's dependent upon. Yeah. Well, and you can again. I'm not. I'm not trying to excuse Windows. The Max Path issue is a problem. The issue is that the file system supports an infinite length, but Explorer, Windows Explorer, doesn't understand things over a certain length. But regardless. 2000 character long path names are a hassle everywhere. I mean, we've all, <laughs> yeah. we've all, you know, changed directory into our fifth node modules, even on a Mac. And we're like, okay, I get it. You know, please. <laughs> it's like, especially when you've got like 20 different of, uh, flavors of Lodash loaded in your node project. Yeah. Yeah. No yeah. Well, cool. So we have a couple of things coming up too that I think is kind of important to, to mention. Maybe it's time to kind of get to the picks then or. Yeah. We're kind of at that time. Let's go and do the picks. So Plex, P-L-E-X. You know what I know about Plex? Plex is a media server, runs on anything, Plex.tv. Plex is glorious, and they just released it for Xbox. So this means that I have a Synology Linux NAS over in my closet here with all of my TV shows and all of my my home movies and all of my uh, archived DVDs on it. And I then have the Plex application on my iPhone, on my iPad, and now on my Xbox. It is my central ecosystem for managing all of my life's media. It is everything. It is glorious. So if you are a person who likes movies and you like, you'd love to be able to sit down on your iPad and say, grab that movie and then jump on an airplane and then watch that movie, Plex changes everything. And the addition of it on the Xbox uh, is glorious. Truly, truly glorious. So if you haven't heard about Plex, for God's sake, learn about it. Awesome. Do you have a John, JavaScript tip or something for us? Plex was written in JavaScript? <laughs> <laughs> You're making <laughs> that up. <laughs> I think I think actually the uh, I suspect that the Windows application was in fact written in JavaScript. Cool. Windows 8 app, yeah, seriously. I don't have a JavaScript specific tip. That's all good. Push uh, F12 in Chrome, that's my tip. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> John, what are your picks? I, I, I had a lot of picks in my head here, and then all of a sudden, Scott just threw me off completely. Uh. <laughs> well, I think that we need to talk about Beyonce's hair, because every time I hang out with uh, Charles on a show, we have to talk about the fact that Beyonce's cut her hair. And it's surprising to me that when I was on JavaScript Jabber, she cut her hair, and people freaked out. And Charles was not aware. And she <laughs> cut her hair day before yesterday. She's got bangs now. <laughs> Charles, oh. Charles is pretty upset about that, I can tell. So I'm going to totally geek out with one of my picks here, and since you mentioned Beyonce... Uh, my niece Danielle is actually a singer in a band and she's been in the top, one of the top hits in the nation recently, which is pretty cool. Her band is Oh Honey and she just had, released a new album called uh, Sincerely Yours and it's up on iTunes. So totally shameless plug here, but check it out. It's pretty awesome music. Really, really mm. proud of my niece. That's cool. Going to see her in concert uh, next week, actually. She's going to be down here in Orlando and I'm really, really going to be kind of neat to watch her in concert and she's uh, opening up for American authors. Awesome. Shiny. Yeah. You have, a, you have a tip for us? Yeah, yeah. So there's this thing called JavaScript and it's, it's pretty cool and, and I like <laughs> using it, but <laughs> no, what I, I've been using a lot of different Gulp plugins lately to kind of pick it back onto my Gulp, uh, uh, fanaticism that I've been doing lately. And I, one thing I've realized or big tips there is when you're using Gulp a lot, most of the time I've been realizing I don't actually need a plugin. That's the cool thing about Gulp is that 
you're writing stuff and you can go find a plugin for it, but most of the time it just lets you drop in a node and do what you need. So uh, that's my tip there is before you go looking for a plugin with Gulp, just actually see if you can write it straight up in Node. Nice. Lucas, do you have a pick for us? Yeah, so last week I read The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz. It's just a phenomenal book. It's probably one of the best business books that I've ever read, and he just talks about the hard things about you know, doing a startup. It was it was really phenomenal. I recommend it. Um, I actually listened to it on Audible, and it was a uh, good narration, really solid book. Really enjoyed it, and I've spent the last week doing unit tests, and I really enjoyed Karma, but my tip for the week would be it's really easy to uh, mock out services using dollar provide. And so it's just instead of spinning it up, I just found it was really convenient to just dollar provide and uh, just mock out uh, a service that your controller or maybe another service has a dependency on. And uh, you're good to go. Awesome. All right. So uh, my pick is actually somewhat self-serving. I've had a lot of people ask me about writing mobile applications in JavaScript. So I went and talked to all of my friends that uh, pulled together frameworks that you can use to write uh, mobile apps in JavaScript. And so we're going to do a roundtable on November 6th. It's going to be in the afternoon. If you want more information, you can either go to jspowerup.com or you can text MobileJS, that's all one word, MobileJS, to 38470, and you can get information about that. And my tip is that you cannot, if you, I forget what the service is called, but if you use the service to like AOK, uh, HTML, or some other text for like a link or something, you can't concatenate to it afterward. So you actually have to stick your, uh, whatever you're concatenating to it and then make it okay for the whole thing. So anyway, so that's my tip. So thanks for coming, Scott. Thank you very much for having me on. It was a lot of fun. I hope so. Good we'll chat. find out if there was any actual content. People like the listeners be like, it was great. When does the content start? <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap up. We'll catch everyone next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.